How many of you guys have seen the movie Back to the Future? It's old. Oh, wow. And how many of you see Back to the Future 2? Did you see the second one with the hoverboard? There was, uh, apparently that really works. It's, it's, it exists. So if you want to buy one, you can. But um, Back to the Future 2 was, really, was, a, was an interesting twist on the first one. So it's about this guy named Marty McFly who goes, obviously, uh, back to the past through a time machine and then has to get back to the future. But Back to the Future 2, Marty, who's, who's like the main actor, uh, he, he, he has to... Something happens in 2015, which is in the future, that forces him to go back to 1955 in the past to fix something that's going to be really bad in 1985. So it's, it's, kind of, it's a little bit confusing. But uh, when you think about that, he finds out that something's going to happen in the future, so he goes back to the past to fix something to prevent, to prevent it. Wouldn't that be fun if we could do that? If we, no? I mean, if we, if we knew something... Some people are like, no, don't touch time. I get it. Um, we, the time continuum will be messed up forever and ever. But imagine this was possible. Imagine you had the ability to anticipate what the future could be or should be, and then you could live accordingly today for it and make changes towards it. I mean, that you know, think about... Think about the project you're working on. If you could really figure out exactly how it's going to turn out and see the implications it has on the world and then say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make decisions today accordingly. Um, or if you can anticipate a difficult season and if you could only say, okay, here's this season, but if I, could, if I can see a way to discover joy in the future and, and ways to make a sacrifice today in the present worthwhile for what my future will be like, Imagine we could do that. In some ways, we kind of can. We kind of can anticipate what could be, but we don't really know exactly what's going to happen. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on this series. It's called You Are Here, and we're really trying to just be in the present. We're like, what God has placed us here. Um, you know, where do we live? Uh, you know, what, what's our life like? What's this, the city around us like? We're, we grew in this series over the last few weeks to appreciate uh, where we actually are and the city we're in. And we've been talking about what it means to be rooted in a place, rooted in a neighborhood, rooted in a city, rooted in relationships, and what that means in the here and now, in this city, in this place. And some of the things we've we discovered the last three weeks was, one, God wants us here. Two, God wants us here for our good. And three, God wants us here for the good of others. And we, we've unpacked that over the last few weeks, looking at an ancient letter to an ancient urban city called Babylon, where the Jews were in exile. And I really believe with all my heart, God wants us to pay attention to the here and now. I mean, even I think when, when uh, Ryan was leading us in worship, you know, we can get caught up with the past, with the future, but what's present? Who is God? Who is he? What is he doing? What's happening? How do we be attentive to that? And I, with all my heart, I really believe as a people and as a church to be present in our city and in our life. But today I want to just, I want to do a little sidetrack in our series, still in the series, but, but throw out a question. I mean, is there something God has in store for us in the future that should affect the way we live in the present? Is there something that God has in store for us in the future that affects the way we should live in the present? And we're going to jump back into this, into this ancient letter to this, these urban exiles in the 6th century BC. And um, we're going to kind of finish it off and, uh, and explore it a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, it's Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to read some of the same verses we read the last few weeks, but then continue for three or four more verses. 
And so here's what, what these exiles in, in, uh, in Babylon, these Jewish exiles in Babylon hear uh, from the Lord through Jeremiah, and they're getting this letter. And, and so we're familiar probably with the first little bit, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, and then we'll continue. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. The God of Israel says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. So we just pause for a second before we keep reading. So that's what we've been walking through the last three weeks. And in this we discovered God wanted them there for their good, for the good of others. When we look at our life and our city, to, to what would it look like every day to wake up and say, okay, God wants me here, God wants me here for my good, God wants me here for the good of others. But now we continue, and this is also what they hear in this letter. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to, keep, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Let's just pause to pray for a moment. Um, yeah, God, just we pray you open our eyes um, to just understand what you want us to learn from this letter to these exiles in the 6th century BC. Um, we've learned much in the last few weeks and challenged about what it means to be present in our own city. But help us to get a glimpse of, your, of the whole story today. So speak into our hearts and lives. And for some that are here, um, maybe searching for faith, looking to discover who you really are, God, I pray that part of what is said today and what we explore in the scriptures today really speaks into their hearts and um, helps them see a glimpse of who you are, God. Please do that by the work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean... There's tension in this letter, right? So here are these Jews in exile. We have already discovered they didn't want to be there at first, but God says, no, you're here. Be there. Plant there. Build your life there. Build, build your homes there. Get rooted there. And the lie from the false prophets were, it's only going to last a year or two, and then you'll be back in Jerusalem. But the reality was, this is going to, you're going to stay there 70 years, which is a whole lifetime. So many of these people will never get out of Babylon. They're going to die there because it's 70 years. I mean, if you're 30 or 40 and you're in Babylon at that time, 70 years means I'm going to be 110 and I'm not going to, you're not going to be there, right? And so, so the reality is, is that here, here's this tension in this letter. There's this definite call to be rooted in that city in Babylon, saying you are here. You're not going anywhere and you're here because God wants you here for your good and for the good of others. But the rest of this letter, this last four verses, is saying, you're not here forever. <laughs> Imagine the tension they're feeling. 
Okay, you want me here, you want me to get planted here, get rooted here, be here for the good and for the good of others, but uh, we're, as a people, not necessarily all personally, as a people, not going to be here forever. And so exile, for the people that were there, not just the individuals, but as a whole and for Israel, was not forever, was not meant to be forever. It was, it was definitely home until death, for many of them, but people, the families the people as a whole would be brought back to Jerusalem 70 years later. So they, they lived in this, in this little tension at the moment, saying, okay, you want, Lord, you want us to be planted here and build a life here for our good and for the good of others. But then there's also, oh, there's something else is coming. And we should understand that. And so God's promise, and it is a promise because it still was exile, Right? And there was this promise that in 70 years he would bring them back. And the purpose, we read it again, it's a purpose to prosper you, which is shalom, which is what we talked about last week, the welfare, well-being of a person, of a people. It's peace and prosperity. It's wholeness. It's restoration. In other words, God's vision for their future life in this city that now going back to Jerusalem would also be about, should be about shalom or peace and prosperity. But here's God. He asks the Jews to live as a people in that land and get rooted there, anticipating that they will one day go back to Jerusalem. In other words, they couldn't just live thinking about Babylon. They still had something in their heads. It's like they lived being rooted in that city and loving that, learning to love that city, but there was something in them that also was making them think about what, was, what would eventually come. And so God inspired them with a future view of Jerusalem. And what in God's heart was that, that was about was shalom, was, was prosperity and peace and well-being. So think about the, the, the perspective this might have given the Jews in the 6th century. Maybe it made them realize God cares about my future. That God's plan for them as a people in their own place wasn't forgotten. That his bigger story is not over. That, that this season, this, even the 70 years as a people is part of their history, but not their whole history. That the story is bigger than that, and God's going to bring to fruition and to, to fulfillment what he desires. And also this, that there was something new coming out of Babylon. That as a people, as they're rooted there and living there and trusting God there, it wasn't just the end. But something new was coming out of exile. Something brand new that God was going to do in his people was coming out of their exile time. They were going to leave, the, the, the point is they would leave Babylon as a refined people, as a tested people, as a people with a new perspective. And God was doing something new in Babylon that had a purpose beyond 70 years because there's a bigger story. There's a bigger picture. Their life wasn't just a temporary existence. Oh, that's it. We're finished here. Our whole history will end in Babylon. There was still, they were still connected to God's bigger story and to his people. And you know, we can sometimes feel like that with our purpose. We could look at our life and say, well, man, it's this season, this, the next 10 years, and then is there a bigger picture here? Or my whole life, what, what is my whole life a part of? Is it part of a bigger story? Is it part of a bigger picture? I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. Some of us might feel like we're all alone and ask the question, like, what am I doing this for? Why am I putting this effort in? Why am I serving these people? Why am I sacrificing for those closest to me? What, what happens at the end of all this? 
And so I think there's a perspective that God gives these exiles that, that keeps them rooted where they are, but still thinking about the bigger picture and the bigger story. And I think here's another perspective that they needed to hear, and I think this really hits home to us in a city. And I think it's, it's this. Make this city really good, right? The exiles in Babylon. Make it really good, but never allow it to become a god. Make this city really good. Contribute to its welfare. Seek the welfare of this city. So make it good, but never make it a god. We could say it in other ways. Take care of the environment, but don't worship it. Go hug trees. Just don't bow down to them, right? Like, it's okay, right? Make money, but don't let money rule you. Love your kids, but don't worship them. So there's good in these things. There's purpose in these things. But when there's a bigger story and there's a bigger picture, then something gives us a perspective that that stops those things from becoming a god, from, from taking the priority away from the bigger story. And so in exile, they realize their life there actually matters, but there's a future city that, they will, that as a people they will go to again. So it, to me, it kind of feels like you're here, but not forever. Now again, not for the 30 or 40-year-old, but for the people as a group. Some people will sometimes go to one extreme. They'll give up on the here because the future's over there. They're like, who cares about this because this is coming? And some people will diminish the now because the future is awaiting them. But God doesn't give the Jews that message. He says, no, stay firmly rooted where you are. That's the first part of the letter. And then he infuses his promises into them and says, remember, this is part of a bigger story. Something new is going to happen while you're here that is, is meant to be connected to the future. The New Testament writers had a similar message uh, for this. It's in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 14. And imagine here's these Christ followers in, in the different cities where they in. Some of them were persecuted. Some of them were marginalized. Some of them were doing okay, but they had this, this belief in Jesus. They're loving their city. They're serving their city. They're being hospitable to, to many people. They're serving the poor. They're, 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 they're seeking the welfare of this city. But then they also have this perspective. And here's what it is. For here we do not have an enduring city but we are looking for the city that is to come. I mean, that echoes Jeremiah's letter, right? Build roots. The whole New Testament would say that. Build roots, be present, be like Jesus in your neighborhood, but there's another future coming one day. And man, that's this tension that we're called to live in. We're called to live in the here with the perspective of the future at the same time. We're called to build roots, but know that there's a, there's a, a new future coming. And one of, the overemphas- one of the dangers of overemphasis of, of this is like it has to be this or that. I'm just going to, it's all for today, it's all for this city. Or the other extreme is it's only for the future, it's only what God's going to do, so scrap, scrap that. But the scriptures call us to live in the tension of the now and then, of the here and the future. You know, my, my wife was asking me, I think it was last week, after last week's message, you know, how, do, how does a people that are oppressed in our world hear Jeremiah 29, 5, saying, you know, like, seek the welfare of your city? How do believers in Mosul or believers in Iraq or people in parts of the world that are struggling and oppressed by the 
the people around them, by the government, how would they hear those words? How, can they, how could they live up to that without, feeling, without wrestling through it? Parts of the world where there's persecution or the government's so corrupt where they feel there's no escape. And I think this next part of the letter would be really encouraging to them. That there's a future. That this is not an enduring city. That this city, this particular city might not last forever. But there's a new city coming that is promised to you. And I think whether you see the city as evil or good, or whether you see the city as a devil or as a god, this verse is sobering because there's a new city to come. Because some of us idolize the city, and so we need to hear this verse. Because we idolize the city city so much, this verse says, hey, uh, the city's not a god. And some of us condemn the city so much, and we need to hear this as well, because there's, there's something that says, okay, the city's not completely evil. What God promises the exiles, in some ways, he promises to us in Christ. Now, it's not this, exactly the same, because we're not Jews, and we don't live in a specific uh, country in that context where they felt this was our land and vice versa. But in the 6th century, it was historical, right? The Jews felt that in historical setting in the 6th century. And it was redemption for Israel. But for us, it's a future redemption. If we can connect it to that, it's a future redemption for humanity. It's, it's God's plan for this brand new city. And I, I just want to read what, what this city looks like. Because God reveals a little bit of it to us in Revelation 21. And, um, you know, part of it is, is metaphor. Part of it is descriptions that John, who wrote Revelation, would have seen or described when he's writing what he saw. But if we just take a glimpse for a second, like, what's God's plan for the new city? What, what, what's this city that is to come? That this city won't endure, but there's a new city coming. And I, and I love this imagery here. So if you've got, you got your Bibles, it's, it's chapter 21. And, and I'll, here's the first five verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. If we skip down to verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride. I will show you the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it had, great, uh, it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and, and with twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three on the north, and three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles. And on them, the the wall of the city had the 12 foundations 
And on them were the names of the 12 apostles. Sorry, I read that. And verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in that city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light. And the Lamb is its lamp. Is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of light. And what an amazing description of a city. Imagine that on a city's website. We got like translucent streets... And uh, our founders are on the walls, and our other founders are on the foundation, and we've got pearls set up for when you walk in, and our gates are never shut, and the lights are always on. Maybe some of you get scared of that because you want to sleep, but, but just, just a few thoughts here. This city, I mean, it's, 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 to describe it and to walk through it would take so much time even to really dig into it, but think about it for a second. This city was made for people. 12 tribes of Israel that are reflected in its, in its posts, in its walls. The 12 apostles are reflected in its foundations. This is God's people, God's church. It, it's a continuity from the past. It's not just something that just is, is like built from scratch. There's this continuity even in history. It includes historical culture. Like verse 24, think about that. Like just think about this for a second. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. I mean, there's something about the present that will be found in the future. The, that, that what has been crafted by people, by nations, somehow will make it in that new city, but it'll be refined, it'll be redeemed. There, there's some new stuff happening, but there's continuity from the old. I love, think about the craftsmanship. You know, we always read this verse, some of you have, and you think about the great street of the city was of gold and as pure as transparent glass. And you're like, well, that it could be miraculous. And I was reading, and I, I discovered that there's this ancient Japanese art form, uh, and they display the end result of this, I think, in the New York Museum. And this ancient Japanese art form is they break down gold so thin, it's like a leaf. And, and you can see right through it. It's translucent. And, and I, I, you read that verse, and you're like, maybe there's some serious creative craftsmanship in heaven. Like there's some really cool artists and builders that, that have been just been refined by, by, you know, by who God is. And, and I mean, you see this craftsmanship in this city. The city's safe. Its walls are there, present. This Everything will be redeemed, but nothing will be impure. That's what it says. There's, 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 there's this idea that, that what we know as culture now will be redeemed. And nothing impure will be in heaven. Or will be in this city. God's judgment will refine everything that enters into the city. So everything we do in it will be an act of worship. I don't know, but if, if somebody's ever told you this, maybe you heard a worship leader, you know, because worship leaders love to say this. They love to say, like, we're going to do this in heaven forever. Right? And some half of you think, I don't want to sing forever. <laughs> right? Like, I don't, <laughs> that's nice for you, but 
I don't even turn the radio on when I go to work, right? And so, so, you know, so sometimes there's this image that in this new city, we're all wearing choir robes and we're part of like the alto section or something, right? And, but here's the beauty of this new city. It, this city is a gift from God. And everything will be redeemed in this city. So your work and your craftsmanship and your gifts and your strengths and your passions, though in some ways they're all, we're all tainted by sin, but in this new city, all those things will be redeemed. And so what we end up doing in eternity in this new city is, wor- is our worship. There's no temple in that city because God is present everywhere. And so imagine our skills and our strengths, our relationships, our hobbies, our passions, our desires, our vocations, our work, all an act of worship. And some singing, I'm sure. Our voices. A a new creation will be furnished with culture, but only culture that's refined by God's holiness. This is a picture of this city that is to come. So everything will be as it was intended to be, and everything will flourish like it was meant to flourish. Imagine even someone's gifts that in our, in our time frame, in our city, because of limitations, because of sin, because of the pressure of culture, because of whatever, never, never flourishes the way it's really intended to be. But in this new city, it can flourish because it's redeemed, it's refined. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, that says, talks about a future time that says, swords will be turned into plowshares. What, what we envision as things we create today, some of them will have no purpose in that city. Like war, there will be no purpose for war. And all these things that are meant for, for evil, even some of them can be redeemed for something that's good, that's flourishing. And why? It's because it's, it's, for, it's for peace and prosperity. It's shalom at its fullness. One writer, his name is Andy Crouch, it's on the screen, he says this, The new Jerusalem is everything the old Jerusalem was ever imagined or intended to be, and more. And we can think about that. Like, imagine the new city is everything Montreal was meant to be, but never could be, and even more. Because this, is, this city is a gift from God. And, and all the gifts and passions and, and skills are redeemed and refined. And so if this is true, if this is true, and this is where we're going to land here today, what does that mean for you and me here? Like, it's great to think about the future, but what does it mean today? If we get a glimpse of the future, what does it mean for me now, in 2014, here in Montreal? So I think it's a couple of things. I think, one, it, it just it builds this perspective for, for what the life we're living now. And yeah, our city's great, and, and we want to build roots in our city and contribute to its common good. And, you know, just this week in our community group, we were discussing, we just asked the question, what do, you, what, do you think, what do you think God rejoices over Montreal about? And some people said diversity, and some people said creativity, and some people talked about a couple of other things that, that we would actually say, yeah, I, I think God smiles over those things. So, so there's part of it that says, yeah, our city is great. Let's build roots here. Let's contribute here. But then not all of our city is good, Right? And not everything in our city can be considered worship. Not everything in our city really aligns with, with God's heart. In some ways, and, and then in some ways, as good as a city is, a city will always disappoint you. A neighborhood will always disappoint you. A, a, a workplace will always disappoint you. Uh, relationships will often disappoint you. 
And, and you know what the reality is, is nothing here ever lives up to the growing hunger we have in our hearts. Nothing will ever live up to that to really satisfy fully the hunger we have in our hearts. Even when we come to Christ, because we come to Christ in a world that's tainted by sin, it's, it's, there's parts of us that sometimes will still feel the hunger. So in some ways, there's things that will disappoint. And while there's good in our city, here's the perspective. We got, it's never going to be perfect. So I, I, the last few years, I've had the chance through, uh, one was a conference and one was just visiting with my family. We went to New York City and I, I love cities. So I, and my wife didn't go at first. And then last year we went and I just love cities. I'll go in the, metro, in the subway system. I'll, I'll go in cafes. I'll try and figure things out. And, and New York City is just, a, you know, such a cool spot, right? So we went as a family and we're walking around. And then my wife said, I think we were in, in uh, Chinatown or Little Italy or some other spot. And she's like, man, the streets are so dirty here, you know? And I'm like, I've been here three times. I never noticed. <laughs> and so, but my wife on the trip, she gave me a completely different perspective. I didn't, I don't have her cleanliness uh, gauge, right? And so, so, and so, I mean, I take showers and everything, but I, I just talk about like, yeah. So, but, but isn't it incredible when you're with someone with a different perspective, you start seeing things you never saw before? And so when we see the future of this gift, this gift of God in this new city, which is his new creation, it gives us perspective for here, both for the good and both to also have discernment for what's not really part of his purpose. And on the reverse side, we met a lady, uh, just be, we were looking to, to walk over the, the Brooklyn Bridge, and we were kinda, it was kind of hard to just get on the bridge as a pedestrian. So we found this lady walking. She came out of a subway station or whatever, and I said, hey, we want to get on the Brooklyn Bridge. What do you think? Is it worth it, this and that? And so we started chatting, and she told us what to do, and it was really cool. And then she asked us where we're from, and we said, we're from Montreal. And she's like, oh, man, I visited that city, and I went to the Jazz Fest. And she said, you guys have a beautiful city, and you guys have such a clean city and you it's so it looks so safe and and so this was the reverse here was this lady from brooklyn that was now her perception of montreal some of us here are like i don't like this city i think it's dirty i who cares about and then here's somebody from the outside is like oh my goodness this is beautiful this is amazing it because when you get something that gives you perspective it's so vital and see, me and Frank didn't judge the streets with the same criteria. And God, when he makes a city, it's just ten times more awesome than when we make a city. And so that gives us perspective. And it also gives us perspective that we're part of a bigger story. That God has so much more in store for our future. But here's the other thing it does for us when we see this, this city in the future. It gives us hope. Because it's as good as a city, as, like I said, as good as a city can ever be, it'll never satisfy but our future city, this future city that's described in new creation, will fulfill God's vision for shalom, for prosperity, for peace. And so what will never satisfy here, as good as it is, and as much as we should cherish it and build roots, part of it will never satisfy. But what God is doing in the future is going to be just beautiful. And for those seasons of life that are constantly filled with persecution and pain, then we, like, we, we, we get this, we get, oh, the God's future is for me. God's future is, there's a future ahead that's beyond this pain, that's beyond this persecution. That, in a sense, thinking, wow, my future city will be awesome. And maybe for some of us it doesn't hit his home as much, but for some who are going through 
a struggling season or for some that we don't even know but in our parts of the world that have just go, walk through horrible persecution and oppression and for their whole life have been crushed by the oppression of their government or another group. This hope is so valuable in practical terms for them and it helps them move forward. Believers over the centuries facing persecution and oppression have looked to this future hope. And even New Testament believers who dug deep into cities like Philippi and, and, and uh, Colossae and Ephesus, that they struggled, but they still dug deep. There was part of them that said, here's my citizenship here, but here's my citizenship in this new city. And it gives me hope. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that movie. We watched that movie or clips of it. 12 years a slave about Solomon Northup and how he, he got thrown into slavery and there's that this one scene this one scene where everyone around him all the other slaves and for total good reason just say will you just accept your situation will you just accept that you're a slave and he just with all the energy he possibly he can grab in his body he says I will not fall to despair because he had a hope and, and when we see the bigger picture, it gives us that kind of hope. For those who've suffered and served for the good of others, we've got to remember verses like comments of Jesus that says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And in this new city, the kings of the earth will bring in their splendor, right? But we don't know, when think about that, if, if Jesus is, is right, and we believe he is, that the first will be last and the last will be first, maybe some of those kings will be real kings. But maybe some of those people described will be what, who God viewed as a champion and a hero. And a mom who sings a lullaby to her baby every night, or a nurse in a clinic with no electricity on the other part of the world that's holding the hand of an HIV patient who will, who's, who's suffering who's dying. Maybe a little girl who just takes another scrap of, of, of food to hand to her little brother because that's all the food they have and, and courageously they live through life. And God says, this, this new city gives hope. It also gives purpose because it means that your work today matters for, for all of eternity. It doesn't mean that you earn this city or you earn salvation or you earn new creation, but it means that if, if, there's, if there's a city in, in eternity, then how we do our work today matters, that our contri- contribution to the common good matters, that your creativity and your gifts and your skills actually matter today. And if the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the new city, then what you do and what you are bringing to the world actually matters, and, and it's important. Sure, it'll be refined by God's holiness. It'll be refined by God's grace and by God's, even by God's judgment. But it's still partly who we are and what we're bringing. The exiles learn to wait with purpose. And our waiting for the future, because of the vision of that future, gives us greater purpose today. And think about the maturity that happened there. To be somewhere with purpose, but wait for hope in another place. You know, that t- actually takes maturity. How, many, how often in our life are we always like, I just, I just want this. I want this now, tomorrow, next week. Let me get it. And there's so much growth and maturity in that. There's so much purpose in this idea of how do I learn to live deeply rooted where I am today but with this future waiting for me. And here's this last part, and I think it's so vital, and we're going to end with it. It's discernment. 
like, think about this for a second. What that city looks like helps us make decisions today. Like the kind of city that God's creating gives us uh, the wisdom and the vision to shape our decisions today. It gives us discernment. Of course, you know, as, again, as good as a city can be, it'll never be perfect. But here we have this vision. Both last week, Isaiah 65, and today, Re- Revelation 21. This vision of what a future city looks like in God's creation when he redeems his people and he redeems places. And then when we see that, it t- helps us live today because we realize that's the kind of life God desires. That's the kind of decisions that I hope my decisions lead to look towards something like that. We're not going to make it. We're not going to create it. We're, it doesn't all depend on us, but that vision gives us better discernment for our decisions today. And it's a hope that gets us through the, dis- the disappointments of even the best things that this world has to offer. And then it gives us discernment because we can look at the things around us and actually value them but not overvalue them. We can see them as good, but never see them as a God. We can, we can see the joy in them, but not allow them to just take over our lives. So it gives us purpose. It gives us discernment. It gives us hope. It gives us a bigger story. It gives us perspective. So I think as we close today, I just want to ask, I'm going to ask Ryan to come up and, and uh, help us close as well. There's, all this happens. Here's the cool thing. All this happens. Um, yeah, the team can come with them too, for sure. We don't want to separate you guys. I mean, this, the fulfillment of all this is Jesus. Jesus makes all this happen. Jesus is the fulfillment of all this. Even for the exiles in 6th century Babylon, and this hope of a new Jerusalem, ultimately the real hope was, was Christ. Because even as they get back to Jerusalem, even as the story continues and they build their wall, even as this continues, they still are left, they still are left without the fullness of what God wanted for their lives. Ultimately, Jesus was the, was the fulfillment. And our hope, our new city, Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is who makes it happen. And he fulfills his promise. He fulfills this hope. He fulfills this perspective. He's at the center of all of it. And I love the words... The, um, to the exiles and we'll just end listening to it chapter 29 verse 12 he says then I love this then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart and so what the interesting part of this as we, we wrap this up is uh, we have this responsibility to reach out to Jesus We have this responsibility to seek him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This promise of a new city, this promise of being part of God's story and part of God's family is a promise for every single person. But here, even back in the Old Testament, the invitation was, come, seek me. Come, make a step towards me. Come. I promise you that that when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me, but seek me. Seek me. The promise is, when you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you, but come and pray and seek me. And so the only person that can fulfill that is Jesus, but we seek him. And so today as we close, I want to just encourage you. We talk about this beautiful kind of life that God has in store for us, this incredible eternity in this new city that God has in store for us. And 
But it all comes through Jesus. And it's not something we can just fabricate or make up. But it's, it comes through Christ. And so as we, as we close today, I, just, I want to invite you just to, to open your hearts to him and to seek him. Maybe for some of us that have been following Christ for a while, we need to just take a moment and, and really ask the question, have I, have, I been, have I been seeking the Lord? Have I been pursuing him? He promises to be here. And so let's, let's acknowledge that we desire the Lord. And for some of you that are just newer or just tracking with us or just figuring out, how do I make a first step? This beautiful promise in the scriptures, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, seek me, trust me, confess me as Lord, repent of this, the, the trajectory of your life that you've been walking, turn around and start following me. And then these amazing promises become part of the promises that God fulfills in our lives. He will listen. He will find you. He's inviting you into this, into this relationship. So I want us just to close briefly the words of this next song. Just help us close with that. Just saying, Lord, I, I need you. And whether you're saying that for the first time or you're just reaffirming it in your heart, um, let's sing it together and then close in prayer.